normally I don't look for stalker quotes on the internet, but I was looking for potentially powerful speeches from past Oscar awards and came across this, which I thought was choice. It's from a site called I Stalk Celebs. Not sure exactly who it is, but he says his name is Mr. Shelby. I thought that he had what he had to say about Michelle Yeoh and her win for Best Actress in 2023 was meaningful. Quote, life's a funny thing filled with its ups and downs and unexpected twists. And every once in a while, someone comes along and shatters the glass ceiling, reminding us of the boundless possibilities that exist if we dare to dream. Enter Michelle Yeoh. At the 95th Academy Awards, Michelle Yeoh did more than just win the Best Actress accolade for everything, everywhere, all at once. She broke barriers, becoming the first Asian woman to clinch that title. But here's the kicker. It wasn't just about the award. It was about what it represented. In her speech, Michelle didn't just thank the Academy and her co-stars. She reached out to every little boy and girl who looks like me, turning her win into a beacon of hope. It was a shout out to everyone who has ever felt marginalized, overlooked, or told they couldn't achieve something because of their race, age, or gender. Holding that Oscar, she didn't just see an award, she saw proof. Proof that dreams, no matter how big or audacious, could come true. And for all the ladies out there who've been told they are past their prime, Yo's win was a resounding screw that to such notions. In a world which often feels divided, Yo's win was a moment of unity, a testament to the power of perseverance, talent, and breaking the mold. She rightly said that night that this was history in the making. And sometimes history isn't just about the past, it's about shaping the future. Do I see any uh, young folks, uh, young uh, moviegoers out there? If you want to come forward, we're going to have some time for all ages to wonder and imagine. If you want to come sit up here. Oh, I wonder what's in the wonder box today. Has someone not opened it in a while? Would you like to? Okay. Oh, good. Forgot breakfast. Thank you. You can go sit down. What is this? Popcorn. Where do you eat popcorn? You have the same thing at home? Yeah, I borrowed it. No. Um, how many of you know where you eat popcorn or when you eat popcorn? At the movies. How many of you have been to the movies in the last year? Adults too? Okay. How many has been a few years for them? Okay. How many love going to the movies? Okay. How many of you love it because of the popcorn? Who cares about the movie? How many of you need to arrive 30 minutes at least before the movie starts? That's my style. Hattie sometimes rolls in it. Like, we got to be there. How many of you have seen um, movies or, or uh, have been going to see movies since you were really little? Yeah. Have you seen any good movies lately? Yeah, what did you see? The new Wonka movie, anyone? Okay. I grew up with Gene Wilder's. Well, I didn't grow up with Gene Wilder, but I grew up watching that movie. <laughs> what did you see? What other movies have people seen lately? Did you see any movie lately? Lewis? 
Mario Brothers. Okay, Sandra. Oh, the color purple. The musical, right, that recently came out, right? Yeah. Other, yeah, Jan. Oh, the Barbie movie. Any of you seen that movie? Oh my gosh, all the color green in that. Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. Pink. Yeah, pink. That's right. Oh, that was such a good movie. Other other movies that people seen lately? Boys in the Boat. Okay. I got to see that. Was that in theaters? Okay. Yesterday. Okay. Yeah. Asteroid City. That's the um Wes Anderson. Yeah. Very, very colorful. <laughs> Any other movies that people have seen lately? Well, what what make it? Why did why did you like those movies? Or maybe what what did you like about that that movie? What do you? It took you to a whole different world. And what did it feel like being in that world? It felt really cool. Very sh a little sugar high you had there. Nice, nice. I remember the early Willy Wonka, and it was like whoa, like that soundstage or wherever that was built. It was so it was real. It was real. Yeah. Oh, they changed the story. Well, there you go. Sometimes when we tell stories again, we can tell it a little different. What, what else is it about movies that you particularly like? She likes to go into different worlds. Anyone? Yeah. Yeah, total immersion. Do you, do you have the same experience when you're watching on a phone versus, versus on the big screen? No. The sound, the visuals, the rest of the place being dark, someone else laughing or opening up their little cellophane next to you. That's great. Um, but you're, there's kind of that collective experience with others in the theater as well. What other things are great about the movies? What? A lot of them can make you laugh. Yep. Oh, interesting. Getting to experience the emotions of something or someone, but not having to directly experience that. What else? Well, I still think it all comes. Oh, please, Kate. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, my God, it's raining or oh, my gosh, it's still it's still light out. Yeah. I always really hope that I don't have to go to the bathroom during a movie because it's like, no. I break the break the imagination, right? Any other things people like about going to the movies? What's yeah? It may it does. It makes you forget your problems a little bit, and maybe makes you jump into someone else's problems for a little bit. Um, and again, kind of gives you a little different worldview. Um, anyone have a favorite movie of all time? Yeah, the original Jurassic Park. Yeah. Taylor Swift, the heiress movie, yeah. Princess Bride, any, yeah, David. Singing in the Rain, yeah. Mary Poppins. I Remember Mama. Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail. Oh, yep, Stephen. Moulin Rouge, any others? Yeah. Lawrence of Arabia, yeah. Bro, brother, where art thou? Nightmare Before Christmas. Excellent. Yeah. Fried green tomatoes. Others? Nine to five. Oh, that's a great. Yes. 
Ice Age. Oh, that one's good. Other movies? Favorites? Sound of Music. Absolutely. Yeah. Dr. Zhivago. Yes. Any? Well, we've named them all. Oh, no. Okay. Go on. Yeah. The original Star Wars. Wow. Yeah. 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 Hattie's dad is was huge into that. Sat her down when she was like two years old and said, this is something you have to learn. Any other movies? Yeah. Oh, Mary Poppins Returns. Excellent. Any additional ones we haven't heard? Okay. Yeah. Ooh, Elemental. That's a great one. That's a nice one. Or Inside Out or some of those. Anim Have you ever seen an animated film that was like, whoa, this is kind of deep, you know, kind of like for parents or others? Yeah. Oh, pr mm, Princess Diaries 2. The sequels sometimes are better than the original. So we all have different favorite movies and somehow they stay with us. And we, we think about them. Perhaps we haven't thought about what it was like being a kid going to Star Wars you know, so many times um, or or where we were when we did this, but there's a lot of really powerful things that come from going to the movies. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the movies today. And I hear you all are going to watch some uh, animated shorts, uh, like not shorts, but like the short films that were nominated for uh, best animation. So I think that was a good choice as opposed to documentary feature length. Uh, that might've been a little heavy. So I think you're going to take your popcorn out. You can take this with you and we'll sing our kids and youth out to their classes today. So I was going to say I'm not much of a moviegoer and I'm kind of being a poser today, but I have seen all the movies that were named <laughs> out during the Wonder Box. So I guess I've seen more movies than I realized. And of course, I understand the effect that seeing movies has on people's lives and that it provides people with some sort of solace or stimulation or maybe even just entertainment. So it's not like I'm against it. I just don't do it much. I am fond of a couple of actors, but I couldn't tell you who most people in movies these days are. Oddly, on Christmas, due to the fact that our kids were not around, we went to a movie, which was very unlike us. In fact, the movie, The Boys in the Boat, came out that day, which I think that makes it an historic event. Our kids thought so anyway. Like most American kids, I saw movies when I was young, and some of them were particularly memorable. The most memorable ones were the movies I saw as an adolescent or with my parents. Most of them by today's standards, I think would be considered low budget or possibly bad. My dad loved the Marx Brothers and took us to see their movies at the Rivoli in Indianapolis. Maybe this is why I'm fond of comics. I realize now that the movies that I was most moved by, the movies I didn't like or was freaked out by, and the movies that I recall with fondness and which stuck with me, were emotionally moving to me, meaningful to me, not just interesting. I was moved by them, which is why I remember them. And I think that continues to be the case. I remember vividly loving the movie Sounder, which I saw in seventh grade with my grandmother. It's a heart-wrenching story of black sharecroppers in the depression era South who are so poor that the father resorts to stealing food and he gets arrested, leaving his wife alone to care for their son. 
Sander is the family's dog, and he runs away when the dad leaves. But the boy looks for him and is always hopeful that he'll find the dog and his dad will come back. It's super moving and so well acted with Cicely Tyson and Paul Winfield in the title roles. It really stuck with me, and I was so pleased to be able to read it with my kids and show them the film. I also remember very well a movie that I saw as a young teenager, I can't recall the name, about a girl who went to get an illegal abortion and she died because of the procedure. It was so profound and scary for a young girl to see. And as my title suggests, I loved sappy romantic movies, steered clear of horror movies, I never saw Jaws or The Exorcist, and fell for extremely attractive romantic movie actors like Robert Redford, Paul Newman, Richard Gere, and Sidney Poitier. However, I was never someone who idolized celebrities, although I did have my share of teen heartthrobs on my wall. I think I became a skeptic when my big brother went to Hollywood as an actor. He was sure that after getting his MFA in acting and doing several plays on stage in New York, he would be a Hollywood star. He was in a few movies, played bit parts, had several roles on TV dramas, and met lots of famous people. He extolled the excitement of being in Hollywood and rubbing shoulders with the rich and famous. I was young and thought he was really cool. So I think I was adequately imp impressed, but not bowled over or completely convinced. After a while, he had been at it for several years and hadn't really progressed in terms of his search for fame and fortune. Everyone in my family became a bit cynical about his desire for fame. It became a bit of a joke, honestly. That clearly was not going to happen, no matter how much he deserved it. He was handsome, very blonde, very personable and charming. So it seemed like he should be successful, but honestly, I'm not sure he was a very good actor, and I'm not actually sure that that matters in Hollywood. <laughs> As he became less self-assured about his prospects, he once told me something rather vulgar about how people got moved up the fame ladder. Too vulgar for this setting, I think. And then when I learned how much money he would make when he had a very small part in a not great movie, I became even more skeptical. And yes, like with many things, the money and influence part has caused me to really not care that much about the Hollywood scene. I don't dislike all movies, and I do have respect for fine actors and good stories, of course, but I question the enormous sums of money we spent to make movies and the equally enormous sums that the famous actors make. It just seems completely disproportionate to their importance. In my book, someone with that much influence and money should be doing something to help the world. I don't disagree that films, like all art, are valuable in society, of course, but like with professional sports, I don't feel that that kind of money is deserved when there's so much inequity in the world and in our own country. I appreciate the actors who are making an effort to have some influence, like Michelle Yeoh in her acceptance speech, Leonardo DiCaprio as a climate activist, Mark Ruffalo, a social justice advocate, Meryl Streep and Jamie Lee Curtis and many others are human rights advocates as well. I'm sure there are many, and I'm hoping they're also putting their money where their mouths are, because we all know they've got tons of it. If so, and I'll find out, and I find out, I'll be sure to seek them out as actors to check out. And we have two readings, and the first hopefully will be memorable. It's an excerpt from AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes. Now, we see a lot of buffs out there in movie watching. And so we're not going to tell you what movies these are from, but feel free if you, you know, say it or shout it out as we take you down some 
of AFI's 100 movie quotes. Number two, I'm gonna make him an offer. He can't refuse. I don't think that was a good. Better than so. Number four, Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> Five, here's looking at you, kid. Number six, go ahead, make my day. That's good. Number eight, may the force be with you. Number nine, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All about Eve. All about Eve. Thank okay. you. Number 10, you talking to me? <laughs> Number 13, love means never having to say you're sorry. Mm. Number 15, E.T. Phone <laughs> 16, they call me Mr. Tibbs. Number 20. <laughs> Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> Bond, James Bond. <laughs> Number 23, there's no place like home. Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm walking here, I'm walking here. No, it's like, I'm walking here, I'm walking here. I think that's it. Okay. <laughs> Number 28, play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> Number 33, I'll have what she's having. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. <laughs> Number 37, I'll be back. Plastics. <laughs> Number 44, I see dead people. Stella! Hey, Stella! <laughs> Love that. You're good. That. Number 58. You keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Okay. Say hello to my little friend. Okay, we'll go to the next one. <laughs> Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. Here's Johnny. I have always depended on the kindness of strangers. Hmm. Hasta la vista, baby. My precious. Oh, that was good. That was good. <laughs> Number 89, tell them to go out there with all they got and win just one for the Gipper. I don't know if that's what it's from, but. A, a martini, shaken, not stirred. 
Which one? Who's on first? I feel, I feel the need, the need for speed. Okay. Thank you. Finally, carpe diem, seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. Our second reading is an excerpt from uh, an article, Oscars Still So White, Hollywood's Diversity Problem by Maika Mulite and Lulin MacArthur. Media representation, especially in film, has long held the power to influence and shape our cultural attitudes. And often movies depict people from historically marginalized backgrounds as only one type of character or narrative, sending this message that experiences outside of the prescribed cultural script are not valuable or worth being told. Additionally, these works must then carry the weight of being a representation of an entire group, a burden too great for any one work or person to bear. The narrow scope of these films also creates tensions between historically marginalized groups who are forced to operate within a society, uh, within, a, within a scarcity mindset, one where there is only ever space for one diverse narrative. A great example of this is in the relation to the woman king. While many viewers lauded the film for its nuanced portrayals of black women, others called for the movie to be boycotted given its editorializing of the Dahomey Kingdom's participation in the slave trade. While The Woman King was a fictional tale, the creators were forced to justify their artistic decisions given the lack of representation of Black people in film. Nevertheless, it, was still, it still was able to have notable commercial success and debuted number one at the box office. Subsequently, when Everything Everywhere All at Once was nominated for Best Picture, countless articles emerged drawing attention to the fact that the Woman King was shut out from the awards, indirectly pitting these two remarkable films against one another. When awards shows, when award shows predominantly nominate and celebrate white and male artists while overlooking the successful works of BIPOC and women creators, it perpetuates the idea that the contributions of the latter are not as significant or worthy of praise. And marginalized groups are left to fight amongst themselves instead of drawing attention to the systemic issues that perpetuate this inequitable environment. I have a question. Do you remember what you were doing 1,331 days ago. Perhaps that's an obscure number or date for you, but that day, three years, seven months, and 25 days ago, was the day my partner, Hattie, and I began a most unexpected journey. You see, we were only a couple months into the pandemic. This was May of 2020. And we decided we might be cooped up in our homes for a while. So what were we to do? Well, movies are a great pastime, and we both love watching movies. But what movie should we watch? 
Oh, there's so many to choose from. That's always a conundrum. Well, long story short, we devised a plan to start watching every Academy Award-nominated movie for Best Picture, like, ever. Like, all of them. At first we thought, well, let's just do the winners. But then we were like, well, what if we disagree with the Academy? So our plan expanded towards what is now a collection of some 591 films that have been nominated over the past 95 years for the Oscar for Best Picture. And if you didn't know, I sure do love a good spreadsheet. So I created one with all of the nominees, color-coded, of course, and with columns to not only choose our favorites each year, but to also rank each year's nominees in our preferred order. Oh, one more important piece of information. We decided to not go chronologically from the first year of the Oscars to the present day. Rather, we used an app to randomize what year we were to watch and then watch each of those films in that year in a random order as well. And we uh, watched all of them, even if we had seen them before. So, for example, our first year was 1980 with great movies like The Coal Miner's Daughter. Oh, that's you got to go home and watch that. The Elephant Man. And of course, our mutual favorite for that year, Ordinary People. The following year we watched was way back in 1940. And so we have just been bouncing back and forth from one era to another in film history. And for this next 1331 days, we have been now on that journey. And even though the pandemic is over, we decided, well, we can't stop now. Here's a few stats from our journey thus far. Of the 591 films ever nominated, we have now watched as a part of this uh, journey 207 over these days, which is a pro which is about 35% of the total. We've watched a movie on average every six days, 10 hours and 26 minutes. As an aside, we've definitely had some slowdowns over the years. I think 1935, which had 12 movies nominated that year, took us several months to get through. But we also have had some weeks where we breeze through and have been very efficient in our watching. The big X factor, of course, kids. And finally, of the 32 completed years that we've completed of 95, um, I only agreed with the Academy on nine occasions, and Hattie only agreed four times. And so there are many reasons. I'm glad we are starting our series on the way popular art can shape our lives with film. One is just how fascinating the exploration of different uh, eras has been, sort of like plopping down into a year of what was going on in Hollywood or society, the United States, the world. There are years where war is so prevalently a focus of the nominees or where racial and or gender inclusion are topics. The other aspect that moved me to offer this series is to reflect on whether and if so, how watching these films have changed me. I can't speak for Hattie, but watching some 200 films deemed the best of the best has had an impact on me. But how? How do movies and the characters found therein shape our own movement and character 
as individuals and as a society. It's hard for me to not look at the characters on screen and not consider my own character, my own values, my own wondering of what would I do if I was in that situation? Do you ever ask yourself one, uh, wondering about this while watching the movies, WWID, what would I do? Perhaps you don't think about it in such a way. I have a background in theater, and so perhaps it's uh, the way I do it as an artist. But another way that makes that might make sense to you is during a movie noticing in yourself when you are resonating or agreeing or drawn to a particular character or desired outcome, or on the other hand, when you are distancing, disagreeing, or feeling disconnected from a character or plot line. Noticing in your body when you feel happy, excited, sad, angry, anxious, etc., will help not only experience the movie on a deeper level, a more immersive level, but also open yourself to the possibility of transformation and personal character development in the process. I've wondered at times these past three and a half years why some movies move me and why some do not. And this is what I've concluded. When the movies of a given Oscar year are all one note, and they are all in a similar style, setting, character demographic, or general theme, I tend to doze off a little bit. On the flip side, years where there is greater diversity in the topics covered, characters portrayed, and cultures centered, have been the most impactful, memorable, and character shaping. Which brings us to the big elephant in the room. If perhaps our personal and collective multicultural character development is proportional to the diversity of characters or cultures portrayed on screen, what happens to our character as individuals and as a society when predominantly only white, male-centered, heterosexual, et cetera, films are making it to the Oscars? What happens to us, to our characters? and to us as a society. Every year around this time in January, the new nominations come out for the Oscars, which are held typically in March. When that happens, Hattie and I have an exception to the rule of randomizing years in which we just jump to the current year so we can get caught up in time for the awards show. Well, without question, the movies uh, we have watched for the Oscars in 2021, 2022, 2023, and now for 2024, um, have been tremendously more diverse in story and characters than those surely in the first decades of the Oscars, but even just in the decade or so prior in the early 21st century. How many of you recall the hashtag, which is that pound symbol for those who do not know, it's a way to organize conversations online. The hashtag, hashtag Oscars so white. In a New York Times article titled quote, the hashtag that changed the Oscars and oral history. The story unfolded this way. Just over nine years ago, quote, on January 15th, 2015, the Academy awarded all 20 acting nominations to white actors for the first of two consecutive years, inspiring April Rain to create the hashtag, hashtag Oscars so white. End quote. The hashtag exploded throughout social media and around the world within hours, even minutes. 
Barry Jenkins, director of Moonlight, shared, quote, at a certain point, people just get fed up, end quote. Ava DuVernay, a Black woman who has directed, among other great movies, the movie Selma, remembers of that time, quote, it was a catalyst for a conversation about what had really been a decades-long absence of diversity and inclusion, end quote. And it was Selma that was at the heart of the controversy, uh, since it was thought to be a clear favorite for a nomination for director and or lead actor for David Oyelowo, who portrayed Dr. King in the film. Instead, it was nominated only for original song and best picture. Instead, uh, excuse me, DuVernay recalls, quote, I knew that I wouldn't get director, but I really felt strongly that David would get actor. That really startled me and disappointed me, end quote. This startling development only continued in January 2016, when all 20 acting nominations again went to white people. It wasn't that diverse movies weren't being made in 2015 and 2016. It was that they weren't being recognized and given the credit they deserved. A systemic issue had to be addressed, and part of that was the makeup of the Academy membership. Los Angeles study, uh, uh, Times study found that, quote, Academy voters are markedly less diverse than the movie going public and even more monolithic than many in the film industry may suspect. Oscar voters are nearly 94% Caucasian and 77% male. Blacks are about 2% of the Academy and Latinos are less than 2%, end quote. Additionally, the study showed that, quote, Oscar voters have a median age, Oscar voters have a median age of 62. People younger than 50 constitute just 14% of the membership. In an emergency meeting just a week after the second consecutive year of monocultural representation in the nominations, the Academy's Board of Governors approved, quote, ambitious targets for a membership initiative known as A2020 aiming to double the number of women and ethnically uh, underrepresented members in four years. And for all intents and purposes, the membership goals were met with 3,000 new members added since 2016 to 2020, a nearly 50% increase in membership. However, as DuVernay uh, noted in the oral history, quote, the majority of that voting body has not changed. It's still 84% white and 68% male concluding even doubling the number of women and people of color doesn't really tip the scales. I found the following summation of the controversy we're talking about very helpful to bring this all around to our individual and social realities today. Franklin Leonard, who is the founder of The Blacklist, a platform for unproduced screenplays in Hollywood, concludes, quote, you could have a year when literally every nominee is of color, and that would still not mean that the systemic problems that exist in the industry have somehow evaporated overnight. Any more than Obama being elected president means that we've solved the problem of racism. End quote. So how does this, what does this mean for us here in Columbus, Indiana in 2024? For me, the this glimpse of the underbelly of Hollywood is a call for multicultural proximity. Let me tell you what I mean. We are very far uh, away from the diversity found in LA 
Chicago, Houston, New Orleans, or Miami. Even Indianapolis provides only glimpses of multicultural lived experience, and it possibly and possibly not something we encounter, even though we are less than just an hour away. Multicultural proximity is made possible through many art forms, including the movies, that can bring the audience into worlds real and surreal, near and far. With what and whom we surround ourselves in this life shapes, moves, and transforms our lives. If we are in proximity with monocultural expressions of life, love, and loss, our understanding of life, love, and loss will be monocultural and myopic. When we engage with people and culture beyond our own lived experience, we are invited onto a different path of character formation and reformation. We are able to take the road that leads to personal and collective transformation and perhaps liberation through how we allow such a journey to move us so. The purpose of this sermon, this Sunday service, is, not, is to not take away the importance of the movies that have shaped your life and worldview. It is not to blame or shame anyone for the bubble and walls our society seems so good at building around us. Rather, it is to say that to say how can how can we ensure and lift up the lived experiences, the sacred life, and the diversity of all in what is deemed worthy of creation? Addressing the issues of Hollywood primarily would primarily be a benefit to those whose lives would now be more often visualized in popular culture. It would allow young boys and girls of so many backgrounds to see themselves and their stories and their beauty and strength worthy of depiction. It can't be overstated how world-transforming the movie Black Panther was for not only Black people, but for other communities of color writ large, and for white communities too, to enter a new world some might mistake for nothing but fiction. Indeed, all is fiction until we create space for something new. New imaginations, new proximities, new life. When fiction becomes reality, when the characters on the silver screen come alive, so do our own lives, characters, and communities. Awaken to something we thought was mere fantasy, a world not yet born, but emerging around us. This Tuesday, January 23rd, another set of nominations will come out. And we will see what stories and characters are uplifted this year. Yet regardless of who is nominated or who wins, each of us have the agency, the power, and the character to uplift life in your movie going, in your movie watching, and in all the ways you can amplify those stories and characters. Adrienne Marie Brown says that what you pay attention to grows. What you pay attention to grows. And so it is true in our lives, in the character of our living, and in our relationship to all that is good, worthy, and sacred within, among, and beyond us this day.
I cannot wait to see what stories, what dreams may come from our living and from all whose lives are sacred and oh so ready for their close-up. May it be so. And amen.